Why don't you stand up? I'll read the entire thing. It's only two extra verses. I'll read the entire thing, and, uh, and then we'll pick... First 23 is kind of what we're going to focus on tonight. Not so much the before or after Jesus tonight, but the day-to-day with Jesus. What is growing, walking with him, persevering or enduring with Jesus day-to-day look like? Here's what Paul says. And you, he's talking to you, these uh, Colossians who have been made alive now. They didn't used to be alive. They were born dead. And at some point, Jesus made them alive. He said, and you who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death on the cross is what he's talking about. Why? Why did Jesus go to the cross? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, oh, oh, there's the word if, if, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'm going to skip down a few verses because we'll come back to the other verses in a couple of weeks. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, Paul says. We warn everyone, we teach everyone with all wisdom so that, why do we teach, why do we do this? So that we may present everyone mature or grown up in Christ. This is why I toil, Paul says. This is why I struggle with all of Jesus' energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Wow, Jesus, tonight, if there's anyone who walked into this room feeling he needs your energy Feeling he needs your power, it is me. And I suspect my friends had a day kind of like I did, or a week, or a month, or a year, or a life. Nobody here walked in with our minds focused in one place. We walked in with scatterbrain. Nobody here walked in here with a clean weekend or a clean week. We walked in here with bad memories of decisions we made, thoughts we had, relationships that are tense. Nobody walks in here with pure motivations. We're scared. We're cynical. We're wondering if we would ever hear from you again. Jesus, tonight, come. Tonight, speak. Tonight, reach into our ears and our hearts and our eyes and do something in them so that we can see you, hear you, and look to you by faith. We ask this in your name. Amen. You can take a seat. Thank you. Here's a general observation about everybody and everything. We have trouble enduring. We have trouble with endurance. We have trouble calibrating our endurance. We have trouble setting pace in our lives or anything else we do. The way I, this first kind of popped up into my mind was uh, in high school I was tortured by my parents. I had, to run, I had to do some kind of sport in high school, and cross-country was the mistake that I made by choosing that. If you've ever run cross-country, you know that it's torture because it means you get up at 4 a.m. every Saturday morning, and you go run through the woods with 200 other people at a five- to seven-minute mile pace. And when you cross the finish line, your body just gives up trying to do anything, and so all of the stuff that used to stay in your body comes out. And all of your family's there to take pictures and be like, yeah, good job. And that shows up at your rehearsal dinner. 
And so cross country makes you look bad. But it also helps me notice that we don't know very much about endurance. And endurance isn't intuitive. Here's what I mean. When those races started, and again, if you've ever done this, you know this, but it's a giant mass of people. And you're all on the same line. And this is a five-kilometer race. People usually finish it anywhere from 16 minutes to 20 minutes. And the gun goes off and everybody runs. Now, there were some people who I call like the sputterers. They would just bolt out in front, super fast in front of everybody, and we're all like discouraged on our third stride. We're like, oh my gosh. Uh, But I called them the sputterers because as you continue to run that five kilometers, uh, I would pass these guys uh, two or three minutes later. They'd be walking, like trying to get rid of a cramp or stretching or something. And then five minutes later, they would pass me, sprint right past me again. And then I'd see them walking later on. And uh, I see them throwing up in the woods or something. But they're the sputterers. They're like the guys who sprint and walk, sprint and walk, sprint and walk. That's how they run the race. Then there's the people who you could tell pace themselves incorrectly. So they start the race way too fast. They can't sustain that pace. So they're just, they're right off of that. Not as fast as the sputterers, but they're right behind them. They're going fast. And you're like, man, they are, they are well prepared for this. But then you see them three quarters of the race through when everybody else is starting to surge and pick it up, they don't have anything left to give. So they're slowing down. They're sucking wind. They're just grabbing their sides. They're in pain. You see, of course, the people who obviously started too slow. They're like, I'm going to pace myself and be wise. I'm not going to be like those people who have to give up halfway through. But they're going like, they're just not even in the ballpark. They're going so slow. And so no matter how much they surge at the end, they're just out of the game at that point. And then out of a group of about 200 people, there would always be two or three guys who seemed to be in another world. They didn't seem to be too focused on the other crowd. They weren't the first guys out of the blocks. They weren't the last guys. They were just lost in the crowd. But when you saw them later on in the race, these guys, they were so focused. And even their eyes kind of betrayed, this guy knows what he's doing, just their, their laser-like focus. It, it's as if you would look at their face and it's like, these guys had counted up every step. They, they had numbered every breath and they're just executing their plan step by step. They know what they're doing. They paced themselves correctly. They had endurance that lasted all the way uh, till the end. And they made it and those guys were the ones who won the race. But here's my point. Out of a group of two or three, or 200, I'm talking two or three people. And the rest of us were going too fast or too slow or fast and slow, fast and slow or giving up or throwing in the towel. All of us were wanting to quit. Cross country is a psychological sport where your body kind of gets dragged along, but it's all mental to push through all of that stuff. And what I noticed is endurance does not come naturally to human beings. It's just not intuitive. And you know this too. This is why we are experts in starting stuff that we never finish, right? Anna gives me a hard time. Justin, my buddy is, uh, from Albuquerque, is here. Um, Justin's just renovated some, most of his kitchen. I said, oh, you're finally done. He said, not done. He started his kitchen. He's made some good progress. Our, our house is always under construction. I'm great at starting stuff, and I'm horrible at uh, finishing things. You're great at starting stuff, but not finishing. You, this, this, this season of life is, is characterized by the word flaky, Right? It frustrates you with your friends. 
and you frustrate your parents and other people. Like I was one of those flaky college kids. I was a campus minister's worst nightmare in college. Uh, but but it's, this is a season of life where a lot of people say yes to a lot of stuff and don't follow through. Or they commit to a ton of stuff and just can't back it up, right? It's an endurance problem. It's a pace problem. We have trouble walking in the same direction for a sustained amount of time. Endurance doesn't come naturally, doesn't come intuitively. We shift away so easily. One of the reasons I mentioned to you this is going to be a brief message is because uh, the past two days have not they've just been bad days. Like, discouraging things happened. Discouraging conversations happened. I didn't sleep well last night because I was stuck with that. So that's just me. Like, what was life like for you the past few days? Did you come in here with a focused mind of, like, I'm ready to sit under the feet of Jesus and listen to him? Not that I'm Jesus, but he's speaking through me, through his word. But did you come in here with that kind of focused, laser-like attention? Or did you come in here on the tail of a bad couple of days or a week? Or maybe today's a great day or whatever. I don't know. But you came in here out of life. Distractions. Shifted attention. Slippery attention spans, right? Try to think about God for more than like one minute and you're like, you know, it's a miracle if it happens. Uh, that we're shifty people. We're not steady people. We're not steadfast people. And that's the very thing Paul just said, if, 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 if. Wow. That word. So before we push on, you take my example of the cross-country race. Are you the sputterer? Are you the spiritual sputterer? Doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. This applies to everybody. Do you get interested in kind of God things or religious things or spiritual things in little fits and spurts a couple of weeks here and then you're off? back into whatever else, and then a couple of years later, you're back. You want to get serious about God. You want to get serious about your faith, and then you're AWOL again. Are you the one who kind of starts out too slowly, and you, just, you have a continual shame and guilt complex because you feel like everybody else under the sun is way ahead of you, and you're just in the back by yourself, and there's no point in even trying to catch up? Are you the one who started off way too fast, and you burn out, and you're over all this now? You just come because the friends or whatever else. Where are you? What are you in that metaphor? The sputterer, the slow starter, the fast runner. Or maybe some of you are the people with that laser-like focus. You think about this. Persevering. It's a word we don't use very much. It means to endure, to keep going. Do you think about these things? Have you ever wondered in the Christian life, you're a Christian, have you ever wondered... Am I going to last? Is my faith going to make it till the end? Is it going to last? If you live to be 80, 90 years old, am I going to be a Christian when I'm 80 or 90 years old? Or is it just a mathematical certainty that given all of the circumstances and all of the struggles and all the sins and all the temptations and all the unknowns of life, add up enough of those things and the formula pops out the other end, there's no way you can make it. Do you wonder that? Is the weak faith, the fragile faith, the fickle faith that you have, is it enough to get you through with the kind of doubts you deal with? Do you wonder, uh, am I a good enough Christian to last? Do you ever lose sleep waking, asking those questions? Do I have enough faith to believe? 
God pushed me away because I don't measure up. Paul assumes the people he's talking to think these kind of thoughts on their beds. We know enough about the background. You know enough from the past couple of weeks of the kind of people Paul is talking to to know they're your kind of people, not churchy kind of people who were like little cartoon characters who didn't have a real life. They had your life. They had my life. Paul knows who he's talking about. So then we really need to know why Paul seems to do something that pulls the rug right out from under us. Because again, I said those two letters, when you put an I next to an F, it can undo whatever thing you just said before that, right? The contracts you signed at your apartment said, you will get your security deposit back if. It's a big if. You, your parents say, hey, we'll help you buy a car if. Your grades are all A's. Or you get a job and raise all this money on your own on the side of that. Someone says, yeah, I'll give you another month, another month of trying this dating thing out if. The ultimatum comes, if. It's, doesn't, the, doesn't those two letters, they seem to undo everything you said before that? And it makes you afraid, is it going to fall apart? He just said, if. It seems like there's more on the line now when Paul says, you were once alienated and hostile, doing evil deeds. Now Jesus has reconciled you in his body on the cross, and he will present you blameless and holy before God. Meaning, when you see God, he will look at you with those probing, searching, blazing eyes, and he will smile over you. He will say, you are beautiful. You are pure. His law, this great prosecutor and enforcer of justice, will search you head to toe, inside and out. It will put that warm spotlight right through you, and it will inspect you, and it will say, there is nothing to report here. This person is innocent. That's the gospel. That's what God says. That's what Paul said Jesus has done for you. But then he says in verse 23, if, and you're like, dang it, especially you introspective people. Some of you don't care about that word being there. Some of you are like, did he just undo everything? Seems like everything's on the line now. Paul just said, if. And then he says down in verse 28, his job as an apostle, he goes around warning everyone, teaching everyone. So he said if, and then he said he goes around warning people that he might present them mature in, mature in Christ. And so you say, well, what's going on here? Really quickly, it's important to know what Paul is not doing. We'll say what Paul is doing. What, what is Paul not doing? He's not manipulating you. God's not passive aggressive. Hey, Good little boys and girls, if you do this, then I'll do that. That's not what's happening here. This isn't like some equation, God will do this for you if you just do this or keep doing this. Paul's not toying with your emotions, saying, oh, I don't want him to get too confident and cocky, so we better keep him, keep him down a few rungs on the ladder. He's not doing that. Here's what he is saying. He is saying that as the rest of the Bible says, from first page to last page, over thousands of years, through dozens of authors, when God saves a person, they're safe. He's saying you cannot lose your salvation. He's saying when Jesus dies for a person, they're free, they're innocent, they're good. There's no danger of falling back into a place where you've fallen out of favor with God. He's saying that saving faith saves you completely. 
He's saying that a real work of God in your life, a genuine work of grace in your life, will bring you past the finish line. It will. The rest of the Bible says this. We come, we're coming back to a lot of this in a couple of weeks with Colossians 3. I'm not going not to go over it a ton tonight, but just know this. Jesus says, I will lose none of those the Father has given to me. All that he's given to me will come to me. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, that the one who started the good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of salvation. God starts what he finishes. So if you're a Christian, you need to know that the faith that Jesus gave you is the kind of faith that perseveres until the end. The security, the safety, the deliverance that he brought to you isn't the kind that evaporates because your mood changes or you're in a different season of life. That's what he's saying. Grace, God's grace, the kind the Bible talks about doesn't just save you two or three years ago when you had that moment where the lights went on and you became a Christian. Jesus' grace saved you that day and it saved you every single hour since until tonight and it's going to save you later tonight. It's going to save you tomorrow. It's going to sustain you. It's going to bear patiently with you. It's going to grow you. It's going to hold that silk thread of your faith intact. That's what grace does. Because that's what Jesus does. So this is actually encouraging stuff. Here's why it might seem a little bit discouraging. This is what Paul is also saying. So I just said, he's saying you can't lose your salvation. Some of you grew up with all kinds of different backgrounds. If you've heard somebody say you can fall out of the favor of God, I say not, in a, not ever. Because if that's true, then Jesus' blood shed on the cross was impotent in your case. And that's unthinkable. When Jesus rescues someone, they're rescued. There's no going back. God God finishes what he starts. Some of you really need to hear this. This first first point, it's got two parts to it. The, The folks in the room who really need to hear this first part, that growth is guaranteed or perseverance is guaranteed. Endurance for the true Christian, the true believer is guaranteed. You need to hear that because you feel like you're hanging by a thread all the time and you think God's on the outs with you again because of how the past week went or how the past year has gone and the way you've acted, the way you've thought or the habits you've gotten out of and you need to look back to Jesus and know he is faithful. I am not. He is strong. I am not. He is loyal even when I am not. That's what we mean that for the true believer, not the churchgoer, not the person who knows how to recite prayers, the true, born again, alive believer has faith that perseveres. There was a time uh, when I was in college, I told you some of my story last week, I told you the time up to Jesus, those, those, uh, those years that were both fun and miserable at the same time. Well, a couple of years after I became a Christian at the end of college, uh, I went into the deepest, darkest valley of doubt and depression uh, that I've ever been in. And I'm very thankful it was only two years. Uh, But what got me through those nights, I was an RUF intern at this point. I was what Brittany and John Robert do. Um, What got me through those nights was putting on this CD of a lot of the music we sing here in a church called Red Mountain Church. And hearing these songs, 
talk about a very faithful and patient and gentle Jesus, even in the midst of people whose lives are a wreck. That is what persevering faith looked like in a very weak place for me. Does that make sense? I was weak. My faith was weak. But the one in whom my faith was placed was strong. Does that make sense? How he sustains us. So some of you have to hear that tonight because you're in a similar place or you've, you've been in one or you're going to be in one and you have to hear that. That the faith that Jesus gave you, the faith that he is sustaining and maintaining and preserving is the faith that keeps pushing on because he's faithful. Growth is guaranteed for the true Christian. Here's the part that the rest of us might need. Oh, let me just, yeah, here's the part that the rest of us need to hear as well, and probably the people who heard the other one, you need to hear this too. Growth is not automatic. Perseverance and endurance in the Christian life is not automatic. It doesn't happen on autopilot. And it will not happen apart from effort. So some of you have to let that sink in because you've been really jiving with what I just said, but that's where you always put a period. And things like discipline or effort or habits or consistency are very hard for you as they are for me. Here's a way to think through what I just said. How does growth is guaranteed but not automatic? How are those two things both true at the same time without canceling each other out? Think about a rock climbing wall. For those of you who rock climb or if you ever have before, you know what holds you to the wall. Is it your grip on the rope or is it the rope's grip on you? It's the rope's grip on you, right? It's the rope's connection to your harness because you can either hold that rope and feel safer, but you're not safer, or you can just let go and let all of your weight fall into that rope and it holds you on the wall, right? But I have yet to see anybody at a rock climbing wall dangling there from a rope for hours on end. Just haven't seen it yet. People go to a rock climbing wall and they attach themselves to that harness, number one, so they don't fall and die, but number two, because they want to navigate and scale and pick their path up that wall. Who holds you in the Christian life? You or Jesus? Whose grip is decisive? Whose handhold is the game changer in your perseverance? His grip on you or your grip on him? It's his on you. However, your life as a Christian makes no sense. It is silly. If you're just hanging there, suspended by the weight, doing nothing. Because what that suggests is you don't know why Jesus saved you in the first place. To present you holy and blameless. Not to leave you dangling in midair a different person but to send you back into your life, into the world, into all the nooks and crannies of where you do life, a different new person. Jesus, his grip holds you to that wall. Your effort, as he holds you, as he supports you, as he protects you, your effort is what begins to make you say, I want to grab that handhold. I'm going to push up with this foot. When I'm going to go over here and I'm going to grab up to that. I'm going to have to swing my momentum over here. I didn't just say you disconnect. It's both and. It's, it's Jesus holding you as you navigate, as you walk, as you live, as you make decisions. I might have lied to you a minute ago because I said it's silly and doesn't make sense if you're just dangling there in the air saying, well, Jesus has me. It's okay. I don't need to do anything. 
It's actually a lot more dangerous than that. D.A. Carson's a famous theologian. He, he, he has this brilliant quote about what coasting or just dangling there, thinking, well, hey, I'm saved, free insurance policy. Don't have to worry about God anymore, the way I live or the decisions I make or whatever. Who cares about the Bible? Whatever, just do whatever I want to do. D.A. Carson says this, people don't drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer and obedience to Scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. You see what he's saying? It's a delusion. It's not just that you're dangling, taking a free ride. It's delusion because you don't know what you were saved for. You weren't saved just to get into heaven. You were saved to live, to live, to live. And to love. And to go back out into the world and to get busy with your life, with God as he holds you and sustains you. Drifting, coasting, apathy only takes you to bad places. Only. Friends, I've heard so many of you say what I feel in my own heart many times. You came in a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of the semester. We're getting to know you, talking. You say, it's been so long since I've, I just, I want to get serious with God again. I want to get, I want to take my faith more seriously now. And you're kind of coming back around. You know in your heart that bad things happened. You just let go and coasted. You didn't go to a place of life. You didn't go to a place of knowledge and understanding. You went to a place of darkness, confusion, hollowness, emptiness, distance from God. We live in a culture that says you get to fall into stuff. You fall into love. You fall into holiness. You fall. It's like you're walking down the street and there's a hole and you just fall in. No effort's exerted at all. Gravity just takes you and does with you what you want. We think, well, if God wants me to do this or to do that, he'll show me. When he has shown us in scripture that oftentimes we don't know. And so we just get, well, he'll give me a sign. God, give me a sign if you want me to stop doing this thing that's patently wicked or not. And you're like, he's told us, friends. I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on myself too. Do you see the, the, the detrimental effect of this though? We think we can fall into this stuff that, that growth just happens because the Holy Spirit dwells in you because you're a Christian. It doesn't. Growth doesn't just happen. It is guaranteed because of what I said earlier. Jesus' grip on you. He will introduce pain into your life because he loves you. He will discipline you when your discipline flags behind, right? He says it, not me, Hebrews 11. He disciplines the one he loves. But you will find yourself stagnant and not growing and having a a more and more blurry vision of him, yourself, your friends, your life, your purpose, everything. Life will get very foggy for you if you treat the Christian life like drifting or coasting or dangling from thin air. Effort is required. Effort in going to a friend when you're at a place of dryness and saying, please pray for me. That's effort, right? That counts. That's effort. Hey, will you pray for me? Hey, I need help. Uh, 
I'm the same kind of person y'all are. I'm not like in some special cast of, of value or whatever, like being a pastor. Like you can come to me, exert some effort and say, hey, can we meet up? I got some stuff I want to figure out. I, need, I want you to pray for me. I want, to, I want to talk to you about this. I want to get it sorted out. You can come to a small group. You can come to fall conference. You can start going to the church with your friend. You can start changing what you watch on YouTube. That's effort. And God says throughout Scripture that it yields fruit. He says throughout Scripture that there's a sense in which he's woven the world in a way that we reap what we sow. The gospel is you reap what Jesus sowed, but there's still some realities of the way Jesus made the world work where if you don't have a job, you don't get a paycheck, right? If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't study, you don't pass. If you don't seek the disciplines of grace, if you don't put yourself around community, if you don't put yourself in a church, if you don't read your Bible, you can't expect that the fruit of reading your Bible is going to come to you. The fruit of praying is going to come to you. You can't expect a closer relationship experientially with God apart from those things. The second and third point are are connected together, and I almost want to say them together. Because as soon as you begin to exert effort in the Christian life, again, remembering Jesus is the one who holds you. Paul says this in the later verses. But as soon as you begin to reach for that handhold or push off with your leg, and you say, what this looks like is, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go and reconcile with this friend. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that Jesus, if he's real, will show himself to me and bust past all the junk that's been blocking me to him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live by faith. I'm going to trust what he said. I'm going to do it. As soon as you start doing that, you're going to feel so weak. You're going to feel so weak. Again, what feels stronger? That rope solidly anchored into the concrete holding you or your weak little arm pulling up the weight of your body? As soon as you start living by faith, you will feel weak. And that's Okay. Because your weak faith points to a strong anchor in Christ. Your fickle faith points to a steady and steadfast Jesus. Your fainting faith points to a strong and steady Jesus as well. And so when you feel your weakness, it just points you right back to him. Which keeps you from getting into the trap that all of us are prone to, that it is your growth or your endurance that makes God happy. He is not impressed. The God of the universe is impressed with his son, Jesus. And he's impressed with you if you're united to his son, Jesus, if you're married to his son, Jesus, if you've become one with Jesus. God is not impressed with our dog and pony show. He's not impressed with our little tricks. He's not impressed with our perseverance. Yes, he's pleased by it. Yes, he delights the way I delight when Addie finally starts to make some movements to crawl. I'm like, growth, maturity, progress, yes. But I don't love her less when that is or isn't there. Don't ever get this wrong, friends. Your growth doesn't fuel or, or trigger God's grace. God's grace trigger, triggers your growth. Some of you think that You're on the outs with God. He's disappointed with you. He hates you again. You're alienated again because you haven't been growing. You're at a stagnant season. You've plateaued. Do you see how you've gotten this backwards? Do you see how you're thinking that your performance, your your endurance, your rock climbing is what is making that rope hold you? It's the other way around. That rope holding you is what frees you on that wall. Grace drives everything in the Christian life. 
not our effort. Grace enables our effort. The last thing is this, and I want to tell you a story and be done with this. Jesus must be the focus of your life, not growth. Jesus has to be the focus of your life, not growth. Paul says it, not me. Paul says in verse 27, which is not here, but it's right before here. He says, do you want to know what the mystery hidden for all the ages and now revealed, which means the gospel? The Old Testament was a fuzzy, blurry little thing. And Paul says, now it's come into high definition in the person of Jesus. Here's the gospel, Paul says, the Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have a pet peeve. I hate it. I understand it, but I hate it when people talk about Christianity. I don't like that word. I don't like the word religion or spirituality. I hate it. And I hate it when, when we get in conversations with each other and we're talking about Christianity and not Jesus because Christianity isn't a thing or an ideology or a religion. Christianity is Jesus. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit breaking into a broken world to put broken people back together and a broken world back together. But I don't like it. It's like if Anna only related to me as husband or spouse. And I'm like, but my name is Ben. I'm a person. I'm not a thing. I'm not a paper doll. Christianity is the person and the work of Jesus applied to you to free you from yourself. And it's free. You can't let your focus in the Christian life or in RUF or whatever else become about the fruits of being with Jesus. Don't you want him more than his stuff? Put your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on him. And that stuff comes. Don't get so wrapped up on new techniques and new strategies and new discipleship programs of how you can grow. Occupy yourself, preoccupy yourself with Jesus. Here's the story. I don't know many details because I heard this from Liz Liano at summer conference, and I called her today to get a refresher on the, on the details. She gave me the book so I can show it to you if you want to hear it later. But uh, there is a story of a man and a woman. That's all I know. Uh, and they were both music encyclopediologists. I don't know what that is, but I think it has something to do with knowing a lot about music. And this man and this woman, they loved music. They knew it inside and out. They went to symphonies all the time. They were a part of symphonies. And this man, uh, at some point in his, li- his older life, got in a car wreck. He had brain damage. And it, uh, part of his brain damage was in the frontal lobe, which affects short-term memory. After he recovered, he's able to walk again. He's able to talk. That frontal lobe damage persisted in, in, in the form of having a one- to two-minute short-term memory. So you could have a conversation with him for 30 seconds. You turn around to look outside at the sunset. You turn back and he's reintroducing himself to you because he doesn't remember the conversation that just happened. This man's married. And so when he's in the rehab facility doing, going through all of his rehab, his wife is coming in every day. And um, the story goes, this guy reintroduces himself to his wife every day. And he says, you're really pretty. Could I get your number? (laughs) This is a true story. I have the book at home. And uh, his wife patiently gives him her number every day when, he, when she goes. Uh, and he says, you're really cute. Can we get dinner sometime? And she says, oh, yeah, I would love that. You should call me. Of course, he forgets to call because 30 seconds later. <laughs> but every time he sees his wife, 
Uh, he, he says, you're really pretty. We should go out on a date. Now, something interesting happened. Because they're so involved in music, um, the therapist thought there's apparently a strain of therapy called music therapy where they, uh, some of you are nodding your heads. You know about this. So they will, they will play certain kinds of music with you because they think that stimulates different parts of the brain and pulls them all together in a way that just talking doesn't. They started playing this certain symphony for this guy. And for the first time since his accident, fully coherent memories start just flowing out. Oh, that's uh, Tchaikovsky's seventh whatever in C minor. Oh, he, wait, here comes this part right here. And he does that with all these symphonies and stuff when they start playing that his memory just bursts back to life. But he also starts remembering things about his wife when they play this symphony music. Memories start coming back. <laughs> Memories start coming back. And pieces come back together. Not the whole thing, but he, but he sees her and he remembers stuff about her that he never remembered before. He says, oh, do you remember this time that this happened? She's like, for the first time, yes. And it was the music that triggered the memories every time. Here's why I tell you this story. Where should you direct your effort and your gaze and your focus in the Christian life? Where should you focus your attention? What does it look like to exert effort? To pursue holiness, to pursue Jesus, to grow, to, to, to know the Bible, to know theology. You should know it. You can know it. How does all this come together? How do we do it day to day? You turn back to the music. We are forgetful people. Paul says we're shifty people. Try to walk three steps in this direction and we're already off zigzagging over here. Paul says we're people, suggests we're people who have trouble with steadiness and steadfastness and doing anything more than two times in a row with consistency. So how do you pursue that consistency? Where do you go when we keep falling off the wagon? Well, I think Paul would say, to use this metaphor, turn on the music, go back to the gospel, go back to Jesus And in him, not in remembering all these techniques or these 12 steps or this discipleship program, but in looking back at Jesus, who he is, what he's in control of, what kind of power he has, what kind of grace he has shown or is willing to show to you. When you see him, it's like the music comes on and all the pieces come together again because you saw him again. That's what it means when Paul says, him I proclaim, not religion, not Christianity, Jesus, crucified and resurrected for sinners and enemies to be made new again. That is what we proclaim. And he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. That is how you persevere. Join a small group because it's more complicated than that when you start living out your days day by day. Uh, Deborah and Trish are here. You can talk to me or Daniel or someone else about the guys group, Ben and Jake, are studying tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the perseverant one. You're the enduring one. You're the faithful one. We want to take seriously your call to endure. You say you warn us about the cost of drifting. You warn us uh, to, to search ourselves and to know that true faith is faith that perseveres. But even as we examine ourselves and and ask, is it true faith that is in me? We pray we won't get caught up looking at ourselves. We pray you would put your fingers under our chin and lift our face to see you again.
stop looking at ourselves, but to look to you. We ask this all in your name.